I just love worship services. I love the opportunity to not only see everybody, but more importantly, sir, during the week, this is the time where we can give back to the Lord. That our worship experience on Sundays is a direct reflection of what we've done to prepare for it all week long. So when we come to church, that we come expectant, we come prayed up, we come confessed up, and we come ready to hear the Lord and what he would have for us to hear. But today's worship in church attendance and spiritual journey has taken a dangerous turn in America. Messages, songs, and prayers, and ministries focus on meeting our needs rather than that of giving glory to God. You and I must refocus our faith from getting what we need from Christ to giving Him the thanks and the glory and the love that He has done. Oswald Chambers said it best in his devotion, My Utmost for His Highest. He writes, The majority of us cannot hear anything but ourselves, and we cannot hear anything God says. But to be brought to the place where we can hear the call of God is to be profoundly changed. What does that mean? That means, the question is, do you have a need to where your needs this morning are out of faith? Or is your needs drowning out that faith? Let me just put it this way. Does your need this morning drown out your faith? Do you come to worship today with a burden you feel that is too great for God? You know that burden that that you say, God, I'll give you everything but this. Or that burden you say, well, I'm going to give that to God, but we always end up taking it back. And maybe you're carrying one of those this morning. Do not let the worries of life stifle the very word and work God wants to do in you today. Don't miss the blessing of being grateful for what God is doing today and wants to do in your life tomorrow. We're going to be looking at an illustration of gratefulness right here in the Bible. We're in Luke chapter 17, starting with verse 11. In verses 11 through 19, this is the story of the ten lepers. And it says, while traveling to Jerusalem, he passed between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten men with serious skin diseases met him. They stood at a distance and raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he told them, go and show yourselves to the priest. And while they were going, they were healed. If you want to, if you like to underline in your Bible, or you like to highlight, or you like to make a specific note, I really wish you would take a moment and underline the phrase, and while they were going. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But one of them, seeing that he was healed, returned, and with a loud voice gave glory to God. He fell face down at his feet, thanking him. And he was, dun, 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 one of those dreaded Samaritans. Then Jesus said, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? 
Didn't any return to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he told him, get up and go on your way. Again, another key phrase, your faith has made you well. Time after time as Jesus heals in the New Testament, he says, your faith has made you well. As we look at this, we see, number one, that our personal need fuels our spiritual need. I don't know about you, but the times I'm deepest in the scriptures, the time I'm closest with the Lord are not the times when things are going well. It's not those mountaintop experiences, but it's when I'm in the valley. But it's those times when things don't make sense, where where everything that you place your strength in is being stripped away from you, and there's nothing but you and God. In those moments, that, that, that moment is raw. That moment is real. Some of you may be in that moment today to where, I mean, you can all agree with me, right? I mean, we can be on fire for the Lord, we can love the Lord, and we can have good days, but it's in those bad days where we need Him the most. Look at our country. Our country wants to push God out of everything, but yet when we have tragedies, when we have shootings, when we have earthquakes, and when we have floods, people are searching for God. That's just the way it is with our lives. When things are going well, we have the feeling that we don't need them. But when things get tough, we search for Him. Folks, your personal need will fuel your spiritual need. So if you're in the middle of a battle right now, don't try to run away from it. God says he'll give us the courage to stand up under it and get the blessing of that. So what do you mean? Am, am I trying to say that you need to be grateful for your tough times that you're having? According to this, yes. Because the lepers here, the lepers were outcasts. The way it worked in the Old Testament times when Jesus encountered them is that if leprosy is contagious. We still have leper colonies around our world today. It's not an extinct disease. It's still around. But yet when people would get that, let's say it was one of your family members would come home and they say, the doctor confirmed it. I have leprosy. That doesn't mean that that everything is going to be okay. You just get some ointment and everything's going to be fine. What that meant was in those days... When the doctor says you have leprosy, you have that itch, that, that skin irritation that won't go away and it gets worse and worse, the family would say, you've got to go to the priest. And then the priest would look at you and he would see that sore. He would see that skin condition and he would say, unclean. And at that moment, that priest would say unclean. As a leper, you would be cast out of your family, cast out of your home, cast out of your city, and be forced to live with other lepers outside of the city gates. Forced, your only means of income would be to beg. So you would be separated from family. You would be separated from friends. Think of fathers that would do nothing but to hold their child. Think of mothers that would want to do nothing but to be at home and to be with their husband. Think of even children that all they want is their mommy and daddy, but they've got this disease and they've been cast out. Unclean! We think we have problems. The lepers knew what problems were. They were unclean. 
they were deemed unclean by the priest and would have to stay away. And whenever people would approach them, here's the thing. If you were a leper and someone would get close to you, it was your responsibility to say, I'm unclean. Stay away. I'm damaged goods. Unclean. People go, ooh. You know, it's kind of like that person when they say, yeah, I've got a cold. <coughs> How you doing, brother? <laughs> You're like, I'm good. My religion doesn't allow me to shake hands. No, we, we don't want to get we don't want to get something, right? So the leper would have to not only wear the badge of being unclean, would have to deal with the pain of leprosy. Not only would they have to deal with the sickness, but they would have to deal with the stigma, the label of being unclean. With unclean meaning unworthy, unacceptable, unloved. They had great need. The lepers also illustrated a point. The lepers were like a person who does not know Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. Separated, lost, unclean, and in need of a Savior. There is nobody in here today that has leprosy, I don't think. I hope not. But all of us, at some point in our life, have had spiritual leprosy. Because if we do not know Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, your sin makes you unclean. It separates you from the love of God. It separates you from the love of others. It is the, one, it is the death that is eternal. You don't just have a party here on earth and then uh, party up with your friends in a place where the the heat is about 80 degrees, but yet it's a party with all your friends and people make a joke about it like, well, I must be going to hell the way I live, but that's all right. All my friends will be there. How sad. When we do not know Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, as someone, if you have a family member, if you have a friend, if you have a co-worker or a neighbor that does not know Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, they are spiritually a leper. They are unclean and they are separated and they are doomed to their disease called sin. And it separates them. Verse 13 shows that a great need caused the lepers to cry out. What did they cry out? They said, Jesus, heal us. Is that what they said? Get this thing off of me. Jesus, give me my gold Lexus and my my Cadillac. Give me all those things that come along with being a good Christian. That's not what they said. All they said was, Jesus, have mercy on us. And when we read the Bible, we think of it. And Jesus cried, Jesus, have mercy on us. Let me ask you something. If you were stranded on an island for three years and you finally see a helicopter flying above you, are you going to say, excuse me? No. You are going to scream with all of your might. It's not going to come from your voice. It's going to come from your gut. It's going to be, have mercy on us. I've been there. Have you? When you say, I come with nothing, God. 
I can offer you nothing except my life. So take it and use it as you will. But please have mercy on us because we've done nothing to deserve it. But please help us. This shows us that these ten lepers actually had heard about Jesus because, number one, they called him by name, and number two, they knew that he could help because the news of him healing, the news of him and his ministry had been traveling, so they knew that this was their only hope. Jesus, have mercy on us. They raised their voices. That meant they were crying out for their lives. Their cries were emotional. They were raw. They were intense. And they were sincere. Their needs had brought them to the point to which they were desperate for healing. That could only be found in Jesus Christ. The lepers knew that Jesus was their only hope. They cried out, Master, which means that they believed that Jesus was who he said he was, the Messiah. How is it that the the Jewish leaders of those days and many people doubted Jesus as the Messiah, but yet here are those that are in need that are claiming Him as the Messiah. What made the difference between those that didn't believe and those that did believe? What was the difference? The ones that did believe in Him had a need. The people that do not believe in God, the people that do not have Jesus Christ, are the ones that do not have any sense of need for Him. And whatever they sense, whatever they claw to, whatever they cling to for self-esteem, whatever they, they cling to for security, one day will either break, rot, rust, or fade away. And then they will be saying, Master, have mercy on us. But folks, it will be too late. No doctor or medicine could heal them. No priest could take their affliction away. Jesus was their only hope. I don't know what you're going through today, but let me remind you, whether you have been a Christian all your life or whether you're contemplating becoming a Christian, whether you've been walking with him one day, one year, or your entire life, as long as you can remember, Jesus is your only hope. Desperation drove them to trust Jesus alone. Desperation does the same thing to us. I can remember as a teenager looking into the mirror saying, God, if you're real, come into my life. Because I had hit bottom. And I praise God that the bottom was solid. I'd like to tell you that I heard angels sing and that that the the Spirit of the Lord shone brightly among uh, me and my family while I was in the bathroom looking in the mirror. But no, that, that was the beginning of my salvation experience. God, if you're real. Come into my life. And it was not but a week or so later that I went to a church and received the call of God on my life to become a Christian. I'm not, I'm not saying that to build myself up, but I'm saying that I had a need. There was no one else but Jesus Christ. And I called to Him. And He answered. And many of you in here have the very same testimony. Do we not live in a world that needs that same type of experience? But we're too afraid to talk about it. It's a personal thing. Folks, Jesus Christ coming to our life is not a personal thing. 
It's a miraculous thing. The second thing we see is that faith is found in taking action before we know the outcome. Because the hardest step of faith to take is the first one. Jesus gave the ten lepers a command without any visible assurance. What did he tell them? He said, he didn't say, you were healed and hit them on the head. He didn't throw his coat on them. What did he say? Go to the priest. And they were still lepers. I bet they were thinking, uh, you were supposed to heal me, but okay, I'll go anyway. They took a step of faith without knowing the outcome. If you're like me, sometimes I'll take a step of faith, but i got to know that when I land, what it's going to look like. Folks, that ain't faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 talks about faith. He says, now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. Has God asked you to take a step of faith without giving you all of the information first? If he has, then you can relate to the lepers. To run to the priest meant to show that they were no longer infected and could return to a normal human contact. That meant the moment they were healed and they were, they were pronounced by the priest clean, they could go back and they could hug their babies. They could hug their wife. They could hug their husband. They could have family dinner again. They could have cuddle time and bedtime stories. They could do all of those things they used to do that they couldn't do while they were unclean. The family was back together again. What brought that family together? The touch of Jesus Christ. Has God asked you to take a step of faith without all the information? And I would say for everybody at one point, maybe even somebody today, yes. And that's the salvation experience. You know in your heart that you need to accept Jesus Christ, but everything in your life screams not to. We see it every Sunday. White knuckle grabs on the, on the pews. Some of those pews have fingernail marks for people to hold on to them during invitation. Because if I, if I say yes to Christ, that means I have to give up everything. But let me ask you something. What you give up, is it worth more than Christ? I would tell somebody today, and I would say it to myself, if living for Christ is so bad, don't. If you live a life apart from Christ and you don't want Him, then enjoy it while you can. Because trying to claim to be a Christian, but living opposite of that is called being lukewarm. It turns Jesus' stomach to the point where He says it makes me want to vomit. So, either live one way or the other. Don't try to be in between. But salvation is that step where we don't know the outcome. You think when I was a teenager and I prayed to receive Christ that I would have the privilege of sitting in front of you and, or standing in front of you and preaching His Word? Absolutely not. But I'm sure that those of you that have accepted Christ had no idea you'd be where you are today. But I do know this. Without Jesus Christ in my life, I wouldn't be here. More than likely, I'd be six feet under. The greatest testimony is one that is spoken. The one leper of ten of them returned to give glory to Jesus 
from an overflow of thankfulness. It says in verse 15, look with me. It says, but one of them, seeing that he was healed, returned with a loud voice and he gave glory to God. He fell face down at his feet, thanking him. And he was a Samaritan. Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I, I had an experience the other day. We, we were watching a football game. It was a Clips game. And, and uh, we, were, we were at a house, and, and I had some friends that were, were uh, getting into the game. And, I mean, there was all these nice couches. And, and, you know, when you watch a game, you can just sit back and watch it. But no, not them. They were standing every play. All right, this is what you need to do, Dabo. Come on. Let's do, I mean, and just, just armchair quarterbacking. And, and they were so intense. And when there was some, something great would go on, and we'd all go, hey! When something bad would happen, we'd go, ooh! And we would just, I mean, and then after it's over, hey, hey, they won! Woo! So vocal about a football victory. Why can't we be like that with our faith? Why can we not be like that with our faith? Look, after the lepers were healed and the one returned, the leper didn't say, excuse me, Jesus, can I see you in the back room for just a minute? He didn't even write him a thank you card. He went to him and said, thank you. Thank you for showing me mercy. He screamed, Praise and thanksgiving to God so that everyone could hear. The reason our world does not see God today is because we're not screaming about Him. Because we are not giving a witness. The leper knew that Jesus did uh, what He did, came from God directly, and the man fell at Christ's feet to say thank you. When is the last time you have just fallen at the feet of Christ, just to say thank you, whether it be for saving your soul or giving you that next morsel of food on your plate. We have no problem talking about the things that mean a lot to us. Children, sports teams, movies, gossip. Paul calls that kind of stuff godless chatter in 2 Timothy 2.16. How can you and I not praise God publicly for saving us from ourselves, from sin, from death, and from hell. How can we not go public with that information? Because giving a verbal witness is worship. It is love. And it is obedience. The leper screamed praises and thanksgiving to God so that everyone could hear. There was no doubt why that one leper was healed. It was because of Jesus Christ. Now, you've probably heard this quote before. It is attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. That He was reported to say, Preach the gospel always, and necessary, use words. I get what he's trying to say. I understand that, that. That we need to live the gospel. We need to show people how good we are. And there, for a time, there was a trend to where you didn't really say much of the gospel, but you do mission projects, and you'd be nice to people, and, and you do all those great things that other people do. I remember, and I'm, I've probably shared this story a million times, so this will be a million and one, but, but I remember when I was a teenager and I was in high school, and, and all of my friends that I'd grown up with, even some of my church friends, 
that started partying. Partying at the peach blossom. Anybody know who the peach blossom is? Rick, you know the peach blossom. Oh, man. You can go there and party and party. party. Woo! But I was Joe Christian. I was a kid that was in church. And so I would go to those parties, and, and honest to God, I wouldn't drink. Because I, I, I wasn't super pious about it, but I just didn't want to do that. I, my ministry was to be the gospel to these partiers. Until one night, a guy came up to me, and he was half lit. And he said, so you're at these parties, and you don't drink, but what makes you any different than us? I froze. I went home, and I never went to another one. And when they would ask me, why aren't you coming? I'd say, well, I'll tell you why. Because I don't believe Jesus wants me to be there. And I love you, and I respect you, but that's not for me. It was not a witness until it became verbal. Preach the gospel always. If necessary, use words. If all you do is think that you can act out the gospel and never share the gospel, there's no difference between you and another, any other social organization that does good work for good people. What differentiates the church from everybody else? When the floods of Columbia hit and the South Carolina Baptists were the first truck there. When hurricanes hit and the North Carolina Baptist men are the first truck there, even before the Red Cross. What's the difference between them and everybody else? The gospel of Jesus Christ. What is the difference between you and I and a, a group down the street? The gospel. This is what, what Peter had to say about what St. Francis of Assisi supposedly said. He says in 1 Peter 3.15, You must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it with gentleness and respect. Folks, we don't need secret agents for the gospel. We need people that are wearing the uniform and displaying it proudly and giving verbal witness. Now, folks, that doesn't mean that you need to go get the biggest Bible you can find and stand on the street corner and beat people over the head with it. If you feel like led to do that, go for it. If the Spirit leads you. But if nothing else... In daily lives, God will give you an opportunity to say something about your faith. You better take it. Because we can be good people all day long, but being good will not have a witness. We have to share the gospel. Finally, we see that God's grace is for everyone. I got news for you. Racism is real. In Jesus' time, racism was real. I was, I was reminded of a, a thing of racism the other day. I was talking to one of my friends. I was helping him move. And when we were in college, we were in a band that traveled to, to many churches. And it was for the school. And uh, we had this, uh, this um, um, colored guy on, in our group. He sang, I bowed on my knees and cried holy. Oh, my goodness. 
And we had been to several churches and sang that. And so that was a request. And so (laughs) I remember we pulled up to First Baptist Columbia to the preacher's conference. We were getting out unloading. And this man, this preacher came up to us and said, is that colored boy with you? Is he going to sing that song? And I thought, is that really what you want to say? He's got a name. He's got a reason. And we're a group. And I, look, I'm not proud of this, but Southern Baptists, we do have a history of slavery. It's in our DNA. I'm not proud of it. But folks, let's be honest. Racism is real. And it's not just white against black. It's black against black, white against white, red, yellow, black, and white. We're all precious in the sight, but for some reason, we've lost sight of that. And in this time, racism was real. Because it says, Jesus says, and the one that came back, of all the people that came back, it was the Samaritan that came back. Because to the Jews, the Samaritans were the lowest of the low. Jesus is trying to prove a point here. The Jews believed that the Samaritan was unworthy of God's love. The fact that Jesus interacted with him made Jesus unclean in the eyes of the Jews. But what we see here is that respect for Jesus can overcome religion every time. I talked about the ministry of being grateful. Here it is. I want you to know, religion won't save you today. Faith in Christ will. Because of the ten lepers that were healed, the one that came back was the despised, half-breed Samaritan. He's the one that came back and showed gratefulness to God. The other nine Jewish lepers never came back. And Jesus is using this as a backdrop to say, I am the Messiah, I am right in front of you, yet you reject me. And the one that is not my chosen people, the one that shouldn't accept me, is the very one that came back and showed that they were grateful. Religion is what condemned those Jewish lepers. And real Christianity and love for Jesus Christ and gratefulness is what saved the leper. Because of all the ten men, only one of them heard this. Only one of them heard this phrase. What was that? Your faith has made you well. The other nine, they said, Whoo! Thank you, Jesus! And they went on with their life. But only one of them was affirmed for their faith. Let me close with this story. There was an elderly carpenter. He was ready to retire. And so... He told his employer, his contractor, of his plans to leave the house building business and live a more leisurely life, sitting on his porch, taking it easy, right? Enjoying his wife and his extended family. He'd missed the paycheck, but he was ready to retire. Some of y'all remember that day, don't you? Well, he knew that they could get by, so he said, boss, I'm going to retire. So the boss said, okay. You can retire, but I got one last job. One last job. One more house to build. I need your help on it. So the guy said, okay, one last house. And so uh, he went through the motions. He didn't measure really good. He didn't pay a whole lot of attention 
to detail. And so the house was shoddy at best. But it was built. He put half effort into it. If half. And then after the house was built, the boss said, here's the keys to the front door. It's yours. You think he'd have worked differently if he'd have known he was building his own house? Folks, when we take Jesus' work in our lives for granted without gratefulness, we lose the blessing of following him. This elderly carpenter built his house not knowing that it was his house. He was distracted and willing to put up for less effort and less output. Your life today is the result of your attitudes and choices from the past. Let me say that one more time. Your life today is a result of your attitudes and choices from your past. And your tomorrow will be the results of the attitude and choices you make today. A wise man said, it has been my experience that when you really come to the Lord, he never sends you away empty unless you come to him stuffed full of yourself. Folks, do not take for granted today the work that God has done for you, through you, and in you today. Don't leave this sanctuary today being full of yourself. Leave being filled with Jesus Christ. Be grateful. Be vocal. And worship Him. God, thank You for this message. Thank You for the fact that while we were lost and we were in need of healing, Lord, You came to us and showed mercy upon us. May we be vocal about our faith to others, just as this one leper was. Lord, we love you. And if there's anyone here today that wants to accept you as your Savior and Lord, may they come forward. We'll pray with them. We'll counsel them and we'll help disciple them. Maybe someone just needs prayer. Would like to join the church. Lord, this invitation time is for you. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.